Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast. In today's episode, we interview Patricia Christofoli. Patricia is an award-winning New York Times bestselling author of House of Demon and co-author of Rwanda, Inc., as well as a collection published by Hallmark titled Inspired Everyday Essays and Stories to Brighten Your Day, Give You Hope, and Strengthen Your Faith. She received an MFA a degree and also received Distinguished Thesis Awards in Creative Writing, as well as being nominated for a Pushcart Prize. As a former journalist, Patricia was a correspondent for Reuters America and has been published in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and The Christian Science Monitor. Her first book, Remembering Mother, Finding Myself, A Journey of Love and Self-Acceptance, was featured in the national media, including Cosmopolitan Magazine, and her latest work, The Secrets of Onita Arbor, which we will be talking about um, Harbor <laughs> explores the miracles and mysteries that occur in ordinary life. I think what you're going to love about Patricia is the vibrancy that she approaches writing and also the theme of rewriting and how rewriting goes back to our own stories and how we see ourselves. Revision and rewriting can create us and also kind of explore ourselves. It was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, the show that helps you plan, write, and publish your book, even if you're a beginner or just feel like one. Now, for your host, she's written over a dozen books and helps others bring their books to life. Here she is, Maciel. Hey there, writers. Let's take a beat to talk about a special announcement. So November is your month of transformation. Get a one-hour coaching session with me by choosing one of these three options, or all three. Option one, join our Patreon for $1, which will support the show. Option two, book a $1 coaching session on coach.me. Option three, leave an Apple podcast review. Send a screenshot to my email and get a coaching spot. You can do all three and get three hours of coaching with me. Find all the links in the show notes. Act fast. This offer is only valid for November to celebrate National Novel Writing Month. Thanks. Okay, everyone. Welcome back to the How to Write a Book podcast. I'm your host, Maciel Valenzuela-Casaneda, and today we have an amazing guest, Patricia Crisafulli. Oh my gosh, Patricia, I am really excited for us to get started in our topic today. Uh, first of all, just welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Maciel, it is my absolute pleasure. I love two things in life. Well, my family, my children, my pets. But it comes to my world. The two things I love the best are writing and talking about writing. <laughs> I love it. And this is perfect. We're made for each other. This is That's amazing. Right. <laughs> uh, we have like eight, six, seven, eight, and ten hours to talk about this, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No, we have the whole day, which I'm the glad. Whole I love it. Um, let me introduce a little bit about you. And then, of course, I will hand over the microphone to you. Um, so, Patricia, uh, Krista Foley, um, as a former journalist, uh, Patricia, you're a correspondent for Reuters America and have been published in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, and the Christian Science Monitor. Um, you are an award-winning New York Times bestselling author of House of Demon and co-author of Rwanda, Inc. And there's a House of Demon. Did I get that correct? House of Diamond. Yeah, it's a financial book. So, my, 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 uh, my writing 
writing genres have gone from leadership and finance into fiction. So I cover the waterfront. <laughs> oh, I love that. And like, really, I mean, fiction is just like a reflection of the reality. So you're just getting all over the world. I love that. Um, let's see. And, um, oh, as well as a collection published, a uh, collection published by Hallmark titled Inspired Everyday Essay Stories to Brighten Your Day, Give You Hope and Strengthen Your Faith. And most recently, the author of The Secrets of Onita Arbor, which is a book one, as well as book two, The Secrets of Stillwater's Chasm, which was recently released by Woodhull Press. So amazing. Thank you so much, Patricia, for being here. We really appreciate this. And um, gosh, how are you today? I'm great. And like I said, I love talking about writing. And I also really like really feel it's a passion of mine and kind of a bit of a calling to encourage other writers. Um, I remember, you know, pre-getting my novel published, wondering, will it ever happen? And even though I had been published multiple times as a nonfiction author and was on the New York Times bestseller list with the financial book, I still wondered, will it ever happen for me? And I kept thinking, well, you know, somebody has to see me, somebody has to recognize me, somebody has to help me, even somebody has to rescue me, right? Yeah. And that's why I love writing and rewriting and being rewritten is Writing is a journey. It's open to all of us. It doesn't matter where it leads. If it's a short story, if it's something you share with family and friends, if it ends up on the bookshelf, if it's self-published, commercially published, if it's critically acclaimed or eight of your closest friends read it, it's all writing. It's all valuable. And it is, I know I hate the word process. It is a process, but it's also a journey. It leads you more deeply into yourself. So claim your right to write. I'm not the first one to say that. I'm about the 100 million to use that cliche, but it's true. There is an R-I-G-H-T to W-R-I-T-E. There's a right to write, and it's yours. And this is the podcast to listen to to figure out how you claim it and really deploy it. I love that. And yes, that's exactly, I mean, that is one of the things we, we hone in here on the How to Write a Book podcast. It's about saying like, yes, your story matters. Write it. Just sit down, write it. You deserve it. Your story needs to be shared. Um, so thank you for highlighting that. And now, um, one of the things that you brought to my attention before this was rewriting, the rewriting process. Now, of course, I would love to talk about that. And what is your, your mentality, your state on that? Rewriting and how we rewrite ourselves. Thank you. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I discovered along the way was, the art is in the rewrite. And that gave me such hope and confidence because in my pre-fiction publishing days, right, I would sometimes spend an entire day writing something and writing and writing and feeling in the flow and in the groove and my characters. And I played with my characters all day. And the next day I would say, oh, man, it's so thin. There's no description. Four pages of dialogue. Oh, boy. Well, you know, or whatever. The, and, and feel disheartened. How could I dis deceive myself to think this was good? No, it's called a first draft. And the reason it's called a first draft is there will be many, 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 many more drafts to follow. That's where we take the scaffolding 
the wire frame, the boards we've nailed together to sort of kind of rough it out. It's like if you go by a house being built, you just see these two by fours. It kind of and and it's not the house, but you can kind of sort of see there's going to be a house here. Oh, it's going to be a two story, and they're going to have a porch, and how cool! That's what our stories. And then slowly, there you know, pick a metaphor, any metaphor. You know, we put up drywall and cheap rock and plaster and do things that I can't figure out and get the plumbing and the wiring to keep it all moving and growing. We do the same thing, and that's the rewrite. That's when we go back and we look at what we've done and we say, does it work? Does it flow? Wow, this is really interesting. Why did I write that? This is a different facet to my character story. Does it work? Did it, was it just a, an experiment or is it taking me a new direction? By listening to the story, we get our, and I, I talk with my hands, and I know this is a podcast, but we just get someone talking with their hands a lot, folks. <laughs> you get in there like it's bread dough, squish, 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 um, and we massage it and we look at it. And it is saying, it's not bad that I have to rewrite it. It's good that I'm rewriting it. And that's step one to me of also rewriting yourself, dropping judgment, dropping perfection, dropping the assumption of if it's not perfect right away, then I'm no good. Like, who said that? Nobody that I know. The rewriting is where we truly polish and redefine our stories and ourselves. That's where your confidence builds. That's where your voice gets gets to speak. And also, that's where we get the courage to say, I'm going to join a writing group or take a writing class, or in my case, a five-year program to, for a master's in fine arts and creative writing that ended up with a distinguished thesis award that became Novel One. Whatever it takes, we give ourselves the permission to learn our craft so we can rewrite and make it better. That's kind of my whole spiel <laughs> laid out. Do that for yourself because you're good and you're going to get better and better and better. I love that. I love that. And and you've said something, the permission, the permission to write. And that is one of the hardest things, I think, you know, among my clients, among new aspiring writers, so many different range of of reasons, you know, that that they, you know, and I put that in quotes for everyone who's listening, um, that they shouldn't write or that, you know, writing is selfish and all of this is in air quotes, you know, and so many blocks, you know, how how did you come to that? How did you go to to say I'm giving myself permission? You know, <laughs> the hard way. I was very, very young when I discovered the joy of writing. I remember the day still. I was seven years old, and I had always told myself stories to keep myself entertained. I was a bad sleeper. So I'm five years old, laying awake at, at night, staring at my ceiling, knowing I can't get up till the sun gets up. I was one of those early riser kids. And so I would tell myself these epic tales of whatever to keep myself entertained. So I discovered that I was A, creative, and B, sleep short. But anyway, <laughs> by the time I was seven, I said, I'm going to write down one of these big epics in my in my head, one of these big sweeping stories. And I sat at my dad's desk with my little feet dangling. They couldn't reach the floor in our living room. And I wrote four whole sentences. <laughs> 
Nice. Yeah, yeah, but that sweeping epic didn't kind of look like it was those four sentences. So I realized that, gee, there must be something more to this writing. But I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And I knew then that I wanted to do this when I was a grown-up, and I never changed my mind, never changed my mind, never wanted to be a ballerina or an astronaut or a firefighter or, or a teacher. I wanted to be a writer. So long story short, you know, I discovered that, you know, I had to make a living. So I went mm-hmm. into becoming a journalist and thought that would do it and whatever, and then a first nonfiction book when I was 39, and then uh, nonfiction and then fiction. Folks, uh I didn't get published. Well, I got published in short stories and some award-winning short stories in my 50s. That my first novel appeared when I was in my early 60s. Please be surprised because <laughs> yeah, I don't look it. But that's the truth. So that process of rewriting and giving ourselves permission is one thing I had to claim and also see as I know it's a cliche, a journey because I needed to learn more things. And what are the obstacles? I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. It's not making any money. Mm-hmm. True and true. You don't have time, and it's not going to make any money. It's still important. What do you give up? You give up um, I, what I call non-destination entertainment. Mm-hmm. So you don't. You, you love this show. You want to see this movie. Go for it. It's drawing you. If it's just kind of mental uh, distraction, distance yourself from it. Take, instead, give yourself permission to say, I'm going to take that time away and sit down. Don't make it a whole day for one hour. And I've heard other authors talk about don't do anything else except that. I, I do say you can make coffee or tea during that time. Mm-hmm. Schedule yourself like a dentist. You know, you I'll take you at 845, and then we have a patient at 915, and there's something coming in at 1020. You do that. From this time to this time, I am writing. Nothing else can take any precedence over that. No phone call. No nothing. You do it for your work. Do it for your writing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, I feel like the way that you've broken it down is straightforward, you know, and sometimes that's what really people just need to hear is, you know, make that commitment and here, that's the time. This is what you're doing. I think Neil Gaiman says something similar. Like you sit down to do your writing, um, you're allowed to write or you're allowed to do nothing, but you can't do anything else. Like just that. (laughs) Right. You're, you're, not, so you're not taking the, the towels out of the dryer. You can go make coffee and tea, I think. Yeah, vital, um, vital. <laughs> yes, but 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 that's it. And because it's t- we're training our brains to think differently. You know, all those little neural pathways, you know, have been, you know, ground into a group that says writing is a hobby. Writing is a pastime. Writing isn't important. Folks, I'm pointing to my top of my head as I say that. We need to change that thinking, which is writing is a deep part of who I am. And publishing is a business transaction. It's a whole different uh, different activity. Writing is its own joy, pleasure, and vocation. So don't, we can't conflate the two. Well, I'm not a writer unless I'm published. No, you're a writer if you're writing. The other part will, you'll find that avenue in the right time, at the right state of your work, 
and you might get sent back to the square one like I was, which is part of rewriting. You know, we'll get into this in a minute. I had to switch genres and found it was the best advice I ever got. But just stay true to the course of writing to discover and explore your story, be it memoir, nonfiction, fiction, speculative, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever it is. If it calls to you, it's important. It's something you have to learn and experience. That's why we write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just wanted to take a beat right there for everyone who's listening. It's exactly 100 percent. Oh, oh my gosh, Patricia. Yeah, totally. And you've said something. You said you switched genres. And I'm curious, was that part of your rewriting journey? <laughs> yes. So, so you know, I always wanted to do fiction. So first I went and, you know, did nonfiction. And my first book, I loved it. It spent 20 years in print. Now, and sadly, after 22 years, it's out of print. But, you know, that's a really long run for a book. It was called Remembering Mother, Finding Myself. It was written under a, a, a previous name. Uh, and it did well. And it was my first nonfiction book. And then I was pulled into, you know, opportunities to write about leadership and write about uh, very interesting world topics and all of which I enjoyed. And I gave myself to them because my background is as a business journalist. But I never forgot the drive to write fiction. And I had some short stories published. I have an e-literary um, platform of my own, and then I publish other writers, and that'll all be in the story notes, and people can find me, and et cetera. Um, but to commit to, to writing fiction, I needed to make the first genre change, which was, I'm going to really learn how to do this. I'd gotten some uh, feedback on some early novel drafts of like shows potential and, you know, has an interesting voice and really can do dialogue. Well, but, but, and, and, you know, the publishing world is a great big funnel. Lots of stuff comes in and very, very, very little trickles out with commercial publishing. And I needed to get over that. But so I said, if I'm committed to this genre, if I want to fulfill that seven year old's dream, right? I'm going to have to learn. So the first step in my personal rewriting was to get an MFA, a master's in fine arts. I went to Northwestern University. It was a five-year program. It was, you know, classes and workshops at night. I worked during the day. I'm a communications consultant with my own little firm. My son and I work together, and we serve clients across the U.S., and I would go to Northwestern at night. And because of the fabulous faculty there, I learned so much, and I'll share some of those tips at the end, if you like, about story. But, you know, we were writing literary fiction. So I finished my thesis, and I said, oh, it's women's literary fiction, because everybody was writing women's literary fiction, right? And uh, I, then I got some feedback at a conference from a couple of really, really experienced editors who looked at my novel and said, you got quirky characters, you set them in a small town, and you really like, which is my heart, the intersection of the ordinary and the extraordinary. Like something happens, almost like a little bit of magical realism. Something happens in this intersection. And they said, you know, you could, you kill off a couple of people and you've got a, you've got a mystery here. And I was like, a mystery? I never saw myself as being drawn. I never saw myself as a mystery writer. But then I looked at my own work, and it was shouting at me, hello, I'm a mystery. And I said, 
I have to rewrite myself as a mystery writer. Never look back. I love this genre. It is absolutely who I am. I had to drop the blinders of what I thought a writer should be. Mm-hmm. And get to my truth is I'm a mystery writer. So the first novel comes out. It's called The Secrets of Onita Harbor. O-H-N-I-T-A Harbor. Um, and then well, there'll be a link in the story notes and the show notes. Then I wrote, uh, you know, the second one. And, and thank you, my wonderful publisher, Woodhall Press. They they loved it and they wanted a sequel. The Secrets of Stillwater's Chasm. And each time I was able to explore this small town setting based on where I grew up in northern New York, the history and the mystery and this pull between ordinary and extraordinary and people's motivations. It's like the whole world compressed into a small setting because within this slightly rural but very historic area, you've got literally centuries of tensions, who belongs, who doesn't belong, what, you know, who are we, what does it mean to trust people? All those themes that I wanted in my literary novel could be pulled out and amplified in a mystery because a mystery deals with two things. Uncertainty, hello world, and what do you stand for? Mm. Think about it. Think about, you know, whether it's Inspector Gamache in the Louise Penny novels or Miss Marple, you know, in the great Agatha Christie. That protagonist has to know what they stand for. They stand for truth. They stand for the wrongly accused. They stand for unraveling danger and stopping the spread of a, of a, a malevolent force. That's what they stand for. So what do we stand for? Mm-hmm. That's why I love mystery. Oh, that is really, that's really enlightening because I feel like, um, and, and you said this totally spot on, which is like what a writer should be and what you thought you were supposed to really encapsulate. And then finding out through, through feedback, which is part of the revision process, that maybe you were geared towards something else. And that was great. And those editors taking the time to also to give you that feedback, to be part of that. I mean, that was, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's kind of like when you're rewriting and you realize, oh my gosh, I know who the killer is. Or, oh, I know I found that one missing object that I was looking for. It was brilliant, really brilliant. Oh, but so... But your your rewriting process. I'm sorry if you can hear that noise right now. Okay, great. Um, your rewriting process. What does that look like now? I'm assuming that it was different from when you started. You were in nonfiction, and now, what's your rewriting process now? You know, the, the bones of it are the same, which is to give myself permission. That famous word to write a first draft, mm-hmm. and even. If it's a lousy first draft, as Annie Lamont talks about, she calls it yeah. something else with an S-H, but we'll keep oh, yeah. it. <laughs> the bird by bird, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love bird by bird, right, is to understand that you just get it out. You just bang, you know. I've been writing a short story that right now I absolutely hate. I, I, the, the, char- the main character is whiny, and I, I just, oh, she's annoying me. But I had to move it out of the way 
So the character could warm up to me. I think I was having a bad day when I wrote it. I was just tired, and it kind of came out. Just get it out. Get it out. There's something in there. And out of the, all the mess and the wheat and the chaff or whatever you want to say, there's going to be a few kernels of that grain that you can then make into your flower of your bread of your story. I'll, I'll take the metaphor to the ridiculous. Run but with it. Run with it. You got you, you said it, Tricia. You got to go with it. Right. So – it, it's the same process, which is, what do I have in front of me? Where is it pulling? What's screaming to get out? Where is the place where I go, you know, that kind of that, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. Because that's the part. And if it's a paragraph or a page or a sentence or a phrase, that's it. That's what you've produced. It's okay. You know, they say Michelangelo looked at a big block of marble and saw the David inside it, right? Well, maybe it's the same out of like your 200 pages of, you know, what doesn't look like it makes any sense. There's a kernel. There's a, there's a story in there and you just got to chip away the parts that don't serve it. You got to get it all out to see what it is. You know, I, I kind of, I call it write long and compress, write long and compress. Sometimes, you know, you got to expand. But often it's it's like, what do I chip away? And it's the same thing when I went from literary to, to mystery. I now had guardrails. Ooh, I love rules and guardrails because it's a mystery. So I'm going to have a certain arc. And the arc is going to be the story and the resolution and then, you know, the satisfaction. Not an arc like a bell curve, but build, 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 and then fall off the cliff, right? Because we're going to have the most tension just before the close. Well, that's great guardrails. I know what I need to do. Within that, I'm going to have mini arcs, right? The red herring, the misdirection, the self-doubt, the danger, you know, who's the back? Oh, wait a minute, I would have been suspecting this person, but now this person and, and all those things. But these guardrails, these, 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 I don't want to call them rules as if, because it's not formulaic. But they're guardrails. I know, oh, this is where I can take my story. That became immensely helpful but also freeing because within those guardrails I had a lot of room to navigate while still propelling my story forward taking care of things like pace character development and making sure the plot really moved I think I uh um I think I really hit my stride in the second book the secrets of Stillwater's chasm um because that book is um, the, the characters are already kind of known. You can read them as a standalone. You can just buy book two if you want and read that one, and you'll completely be caught up. Um, and that was the one where I, I think I truly gave myself permission to just own the genre, to say, Thanks. this is it. Oh, well, I love that. So, like, you, you really felt like you stepped into it. You're like, all right, now here I am. I've arrived. Right. I mean, the first one is I, I get great reviews and people really, really like it. And it's just I'm always I'm I'm very hard on my own work and I always fall in love with what I've just written. Um, I, I but I can see and we're all going to see it and we see it in our favorite authors a maturing in my writing. I can see a maturing even from one year to the next. Perfectly fine. Happy with book one. Really, really happy with book two. Oh, I love that. I love that. I mean, because I, I feel like, yeah, exactly, like you kind of, you look back and you realize, oh, okay, so here's where, is where I was. And, you know, I can see, you know, plot holes or I can see inconsistencies. And then as you grow, it, it, the, the, 
the evidence is clear, you know, as, uh, as opposed to like other industries where if you grow in your career, you know, oh, well, maybe you get a new title or uh, your salary grows. But as a writer, I mean, it's right in front of you and it's delightful, you know. Okay. So, you know, one of the things I like to look at other areas of whether it's another art form or even something like sports. But this hit me because sometimes we judge our own work too harshly mm-hmm. is my husband and I were in Florence, Italy a few years ago, and we were in the the beautiful, I think it's the Academia, and um, we were looking at, we're in this viewing room, and um, maybe it's the Futsi. I always get them mixed up. Anyway, it's in Florence, the big art gallery, and there is Da Vinci's Annunciation. It's the most, it's this beautiful, transcendent work, the light and the figures and whatever. And it was his first masterpiece. And it's, you can just sit there and stare at it. But then you look at the notes, the little, the little plaque on the wall and it said, this is Da Vinci's first masterpiece, but here's all the things wrong with it. You know, this figure is too stiff and the, the, the shadow isn't exactly right. It's Da Vinci, right? Wow. But even Da Vinci in his masterpiece got even more masterful. Wow. Hello. So if from a first book to a second book or a fourth book to an eighth, but whatever, if we're still growing and maturing and progressing and rewriting, yay you. Yeah. If it was good enough for Da Vinci for the first one to make it out the out of the studio and on the wall and worth millions, and it's fabulous. It isn't like we're like, well, we only hang it up here because it's his. It's oh. amazing. But even Da Vinci went from master to increasing mastery, yeah. and to, that is part of our rewriting. We're growing. We're living. We're having more experiences. Of course, our stories are going to change and evolve because we are, and hopefully, like in a mystery series, so are our characters. My protagonist, Gabriella Domenici, or Domenici, she says it both ways. Um, Gabriella is a, uh, a librarian, an authenticator. Her first book is really uh, her, you know, her coming to terms with having to move back to her hometown and landing on her doorstep is a big mystery, too. Number one, at a fundraiser rummage sale, you know, kind of white elephant sale for the library, someone has donated a little tiny thing, which looks like a, a cross that might be from a museum gift shop. Turns out, oh, whoa, 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 the middle is ivory, and there's a, a kind of enameling that is very, very uh, rare, and it turns out that it's a medieval artifact. Who donated this anonymously? Oh, my gosh. And then people want it for all kinds of reasons, good and bad. And the bodies start showing up on the library lawn. So Gabriella is in the middle of this. Do I belong here? Can Who can I trust? I have to do it all myself. I'm a single mom. I don't want to be here. Should I be here? All those personal pressures are wrapped around this mystery, which you can imagine, she eventually solves, but not without being in the crosshairs with a whole lot of danger and dealing with what it means to be lost and found, right? Mm. Book two, she has a different set of um, personal challenges because she's in a relationship. And it is 
am I too much for the other person? How much of myself should I withhold so I'm not too messy or difficult? Because she's got some PTSD going on because of book one. And uh, and she's confronted with how can I help people and not deplete myself? Where are boundaries? How? Why do I define myself as being a helper and a giver while, quite frankly, being involved in an environmental um I'll call it a controversy, an environmental controversy, um, two mysterious deaths that she actually finds the bodies while on a hike, and another death because someone she had an argument with shows up dead. And while all of this is going on in a small town, and she has to say, how much of myself is too much for this relationship? Mm-hmm. So if she manipulates that, of course, you know, the mystery unfolds. So the progress, she progresses and I progress. In book three, which I'm working on, there's a whole set of other things because this is real life, right? Mm-hmm. You're not the same person you were yesterday or last year. You know, COVID taught us so many things about what's important about community and what does it mean to be a neighbor and all the things, whatever. I don't want to assign people's meaning on that, but it was, it was, uh, personally and and community wide traumatic. We're not the same we were three years ago, right? Our characters evolve. We evolve. We have more things to say and different things to say. Yeah, that is so true. I and uh, well, first of all, I'm looking forward to reading and also for one of your third book. Uh, this that's really up my alley. I'm excited. Um, and uh, you know, I had a question. Sorry, going back to, you know, she deals with PTSD, um, you know, and like you said, we're, we've all changed. We all have kind of uh, maybe trauma or things that we're holding on to. And, and I'm curious. So when you're doing the part of your writing process, the rewriting process, do the hard parts come out in the writing process? I mean, or is it that the rewriting is to face the dark parts that are already there? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love that question. And the answer is C, all of the above. So in the plot, you know, advancing the plot, okay, now she needs to run away and now she needs to move. I'm I'm just going to use stick figure things, right? Like, oh, she's going to run away and here she's going to have an argument and here she's going to do this and here she's going to do that and da-da-da-da-da. And the next level is why? Mm-hmm. Well, she's doing this because, like, Gabriella in book two, uh, the secrets of still waters chasm. I have to stop calling it book two. I need to call them. <laughs> My marketing people will say, please say the title of the book. <laughs> yeah. The secrets of still waters chasm. She is out of her main library. She's away from her job a lot and she's out in the county doing, cause I needed to get her near this environmental disaster, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why is she doing this? And it occurred to me, you know, hello. When she's in the library, she's back in the place where she faced so much danger, which I recap in book two, which which occurred in The Secrets of Onita Harbor. Again, folks, you can read them as standalones. You'll get caught up. And it made, suddenly I was like, of course it's hard for her to literally sit in her chair because she remembers the killer who she confronted. Right? Right. No spoilers on book, on the first book. So in going back and asking why and asking why and the feelings in her body is I saw that she's trying to manage her world. She's trying to contain her emotions. Mm-hmm. And 
that doesn't work very well. We have to process and express them, and that's what she learned. So it's in the rewriting when I say, and why and what does she feel? And why and what does she feel? So the darker parts, the part, the pain, the trauma, the fact that she's hanging on so tightly, and then we take, we go from the shovel to the, to the scalpel and the little brush, as I call it, you know, where we stop like just digging a whole new plot line is when we think about her, how her hands might be, um, you know, she does this a lot. Can you hear it? Clicks the pen back and forth, back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of her tells that she's trying to keep herself very contained. And then she realizes it and she puts the pen down as opposed to me saying she was nervous. I want that to be visual and kind of visceral. That's another level and another layer of rewriting that really is like, you know, you know, we're working with finer tools to bring it, make something more three-dimensional, believable, but without slowing it down. Right. Because we want to feel what she's feeling. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole journey. The whole journey is for us to be in their shoes. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. I love that. Um, and so when you're going through this and as you're rewriting, do you ever feel tempted that you're like, okay, I'm going, I'm going too far. Maybe I should pivot in this direction, but your rewriting is like, nope, we're going in this direction. Do you ever kind of feel that tug of war? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, other authors, I'm sure say this, like I've had, two, I had two, um, uh, characters fall in love on the pages that I wasn't planning, but I was like, oh, whoa, okay, well, this creates a little rewrite, and I liked it. I was like, okay, this is a different dimension. You know, some other part of my brain was working on that. Also, um, I try things and then go, where are you going? Delete, 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 delete. But it's all okay because we're there is an experimentation, and then the final read-through and then the really final read through and then the third final read through and then the okay really 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 this is the final read through and the one more time read through because we want to make sure there's consistency and we combing and it's like combing and combing and combing and combing i love that process mm-hmm. and then there's letting go and getting feedback getting that feedback and out it goes and and back um and not to be afraid of it if somebody says it just didn't do it for me. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It's you got to work on it a little more. Okay. It's be brave. Find that courage. Your story deserves to get out there. Love that. That's that's perfect. You're right. And I think that's what a lot of the writers face is if it's um, a critique, it's a critique on me as a person, you know, and separating that. Like it's just your work, your work and yourself are different. And it's hard when it's writing because it's personal, when it's not like, oh, you know, there's some problems with this story. It does not mean there's problems with you. It just means the execution. It's the craft thing. You can learn it. You can go to a go to a writer's conference, go to a workshop, join a group. You learn. We all have to learn. We all had to learn. You know, you learn a dance step at a wedding, right? There's a group dance. Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to turn here. Okay. Or you take an aerobics class, which I did. Up do, up do, up do. You have to learn it. You're not born knowing all the steps, right? right. You can see I'm the queen of the metaphor. Luckily, only when I speak and not when I write. Uh, <laughs> But it's the same thing with writing. Oh, I understand now about pacing and about the mini arc and whatever. You learn this stuff. It's just crap. The talent and the story is in you. You're just learning how to give it a little polishing and development. You can take a class. You can get critique. You can get it. People want to help. If they're not helpful, if they're putting you down, you're in the wrong group. There will be more people out there to help you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know what? And that's something that I always love to to really hone in on is is you know people will want to give you constructive criticism, but if they're not, get them out of there. That, that's that's you don't need that. Writing is right. already hard. <laughs> that's right. It's already hard. Don't make it harder. Yeah, exactly. So when can we expect your next book, Patricia? Oh well, the new one just came out. Um, so th- this, the expectation is here now. It's the secrets of Stillwater's chasm. Uh, I mean, you know, my plan is to continue this series, um, and hopefully next year or slightly thereafter. But this, so the, the next is now for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm talking to book groups and I'm doing book signings and bookstores and doing fabulous podcasts like yours, uh, to help people, you know, get to know me, get to know the story. And really, I hope they will not only enjoy the story of the secrets of Stillwater's Chasm and the previous one, the secrets of Onita Harbor, but also to find in their own lives those moments when the ordinary life gets intersected by the extraordinary and the mystery and the magic that can happen in those moments. Because here's why I write about artifacts, okay? Whether it's Medieval Cross in in the first book, The Secrets of Onita Harbor, or hmm, a nautical um, artifact in The Secrets of Stillwater's Chasm, it's the loss that wants to be found it's about us. There's a secret treasure in us that wants to be found. Mm-hmm. So the search for the artifact and its authentication is the search for ourselves and our authentication. That's what I hope they also take away from my mystery series. Enjoy it. Get swept up in the, in Onita Harbor. Get swept up in Stillwater's Chasm and come away with, uh, I hope, being fulfilled and in, in enjoyment. And look for the mystery in your own life because it's there and it's in your story. Oh, that I love that. And I feel like you're also that's so closely tied to the topic that you're presenting, which is rewriting, finding yourself in the rewriting. Beautiful. That's gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Patricia. Um I wanted to also ask you, know, where can people find you? But also, I think you've mentioned that you provide maybe services or a platform for other authors. I you do. Know? So yeah. I have a little e-literary magazine. It's a labor of love. It's called, um, you know, www, of course, faith, F-A-I-T-H, hope, H-O-P-E, and A-N-D, fiction, F-I-C-T-I-O-N. So, uh and because, you know, there's there's the it was the play on faith, hope and love. It's faith, hope and fiction because fiction is my love. When people see faith, they go, huh, what does that faith part mean? No, no, no. It means have faith in yourself, a leap of faith. It's about it's about stories that inspire and entertain and help us look at the world a little differently. It is a literary site. Hope because you can't create anything without hope and fiction because you said it earlier. There's tr- our tr- our truth is in our fiction. I do publish essays, some poetry, um, and and short stories. I have and it's there's no ads, there's no subscription. It's a labor of love. I do publish uh, some other authors. Why is it out there? Well, it is a platform. It does help people find me, but also I wanted to make sure that in my process of getting some writing credentials. I opened the channel up to other people as well because it's hard to get that first yes. And I'm not an easy yes. I, and I do a lot of editing, but, um, and it's, 
And, you know, I hate to say it, folks, it's free. And I'm never going to even put an ad on there because I don't want it to be. And I don't require a paywall or anything. You can share it wherever because there has to be an oasis in this world for writing that matters, for stories that elevate and help us kind of look maybe at a deeper meaning. And that's the purpose of faithopenfiction.com. I love that. I actually, and I went through your website and I saw there was a holiday section and I was like, Oh, I'm, that's me. I'm going in there. Yeah. That's my favorite. I give myself a treat once a year. I write up a holiday story. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Um, so, I mean, that's amazing. And, and the fact that you, that's, that's your labor of love. I love that because, you know, we don't find that as often, you know, in, in this, internet age um and where paperbacks almost no longer exist you know which i'm holding on to um so uh i also wanted to ask you where can people find you where can they find your work um in addition okay, to the well website? they can find me right at, at faithhopeandfiction.com it's the easiest way to find me my books are available wherever books are sold <laughs> i sound like the voice the, the, the uh the, the announcer on the tv right um all the usual online channels but also i'm really into independent bookstores so if you go to your independent bookstore and they don't have it, um, ask them to order it. The independent booksellers are thrilled to order any book. They can find you on the computer system. They can find me. So the usual suspects will, will have a couple of usual suspect links, maybe in the show notes, or they can be found on my website. Um, but certainly, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, bookshop.org. But also, you know, give a give a nod to your local bookseller and ask them to order it. Um, but it's out there um, from Woodhall Press. Thank you, Woodhall Press, an amazing, wonderful publisher, very supportive. Awesome. Thank you so much. And and just to remind everyone, uh, Patricia Krista Foley, author of The Secrets of Onita Arbor and The Secrets of Stillwater's Chasm, as well as your third book that will be coming out. And whenever that does, you welcome back. Welcome back. We want to have you back. Thank you again, Patricia. This has been wonderful. I think your topic has been really enlightening. And I think other other listeners will also find it extremely empowering. And just the the confidence of yeah, rewriting to find myself and to find the mystery in your life. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been All my right. pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the How to Write a Book podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you want to keep up with me and my work, check out the website, blackheartedstudios.com. That's www.blackheartedstudios.com. And follow me on Instagram, at MastielWrites. That's at M-A-S-S-I-E-L Writes. As a book coach and publisher, I'm passionate about helping aspiring authors bring their stories to life. So if you've been dreaming of writing a book and don't know where to start, head to my website and let's chat. You get a free 30 minutes on me. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.